If you had to associate Christianity with one particular body part, what would it be? Maybe smiling lips, a tame tongue, perhaps praying hands and outstretched arm, or even beautiful feet? All of these and more reflect something of the Christian life. But of all the unassuming anatomical candidates, Christianity is intimately tied up with the ear. In John Bunyan's lesser-known allegory called The Holy War, he pictures the soul of man with a town called Man's Soul. And in this town are five gates— the eye gate, the ear gate, the nose gate, the mouth gate, and the feel gate. Ear gate was defended by a company of 60 deaf men. And when the usurper, Prince Diabolos, attacked man's soul, he took control of the ear gate. Well, later in the story, Prince Emmanuel was sent to take back the town of man's soul. And when he does, which gate do you think he took it through? It's through the ear gate that he launches his assault and retakes man's soul. Learning how to use our ears properly is one of the greatest themes in Jesus' teaching about the Christian life. And at the beginning of Matthew 13, he tells a parable which refers to how we hear. I invite you there. Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter number 13. This is usually called the parable of the sower, but it's really about different types of soil. More precisely, different types of hearing. We could just as well call this the parable of the ears. In the previous chapters, we see a transition in Jesus' public teaching ministry. In chapter 12 of Matthew, we see a description in detail of how the Pharisees, who epitomized the nation of Israel's response to their Messiah, how they accused Jesus of using Satan's power to cast out demons. Israel had rejected their king, and they refused the kingdom he offered. Oh, they heard his message all right, but they didn't truly hear it. And so from that day on, the tenor of Jesus' ministry changed. Even the style of his teaching changed. He began to teach in parables, which reveal the kingdom of God and give handles for grasping it, but in a veiled sort of way. It's tough to get a precise definition of parables that works for all of them, but it's helpful perhaps to see parables generally speaking, as fictitious sayings picturing truth. Fictitious sayings picturing truth. Or to adopt the words of a modern poet, parables are imaginary gardens with real toads in them. That, that image for me is really helpful. Imaginary gardens with real toads in them. Parables' ultimate aim is to awaken insight, to stimulate the conscience, and above all, to move to action. Hear now the parable of the ears, starting in verse 1. 
That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no roots, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. There were lots of farmers in the countryside of Galilee, and they would sow seed by hand, pulling it out of a seed bag and just scattering it on the ground. In the ancient world, the paths that people would walk went right through fields. And so seeds would land right there on the path. And at the time of sowing, the sky would be filled with hungry birds ready to devour every exposed seed. In places, there was a limestone layer just inches under the soil. And what it would do is it would trap the moisture and keep it close to the surface. So the seeds that landed there were immersed in moisture and and they'd sprout up quickly. But then the hot sun would come and and suck the moisture right out of the shallow soil, making the exciting growth short-lived. The thorns were a type of weed with really strong roots. And they, they would steal all the moisture from the soil leaving nothing for the other plants, and they would choke up, in a sense, and die. Well, Galilee was well known for the quality of its soil. And it was not uncommon for seed that landed in the good soil and took root to yield up to a hundredfold, which means that each plant would produce up to 100 more plants. Jesus ends this parable by calling for both a willingness to listen and a motivation to respond properly to the message. There there in verse 9, he is demanding serious examination on the parts of his hearers. He's calling them not just to hear the parable, but to really, truly hear it. Well, the disciples of Jesus must have realized that this simple story about planting and harvesting grain concealed some sort of significant spiritual truth. And so, in verse 10, when the disciples came to him, they said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And in Mark's account of this parable, we read that the disciples also asked Jesus specifically about this parable. Well, Jesus answers them, verses 11 through 17. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has more, more will be given. 
and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you are and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The language of Jesus here in this section is, let's just be honest, it's difficult. Right? There, there's, even, there's even a certain level of harshness here. Some commentators have called these words of Jesus intolerable. Jesus is quoting here from Isaiah chapter 6, and it seems that the key to understanding what Jesus is saying is to truly understand what Isaiah means. So, so thinking back then to what Isaiah means, after seeing the holy God lifted up on his throne and saying, I will go, Isaiah is told by God to give the people a message that will be rejected by this obstinate and apostate nation. And by giving them this message, he's confirming them in their repeated freely chosen decisions to reject God. So then these words from Isaiah express a common theme of the prophets. Israel is too far gone and judgment is already decreed. The nation has refused the many patient appeals of Yahweh. And Isaiah's call presupposes that the hardening has already occurred and judgment is coming. Well, as a prophet himself, Jesus took these words from Isaiah about hardness of heart and describes his own ministry. And by referencing Isaiah 6, Jesus makes the point in this parable that God's seed is being sown in the proclamation of the kingdom. Involvement in the kingdom depends on the reception the proclaimed seed receives in human hearts, in human ears. He's saying that the key is how one hears. The key is how one hears. And in Jesus' ministry, he saw the same thing Isaiah did. Like ancient Israel, many Jews in the crowds saw his miracles but they failed to perceive what God was doing through him. Oh, they heard the words of Jesus, but they failed to understand them. As one commentator put it, the parables were stones of stumbling, deliberately placed in Israel's path, much like what Isaiah was instructed to do in Isaiah 6. 
So rather than openly proclaiming his message, Jesus obscured the truth from those who'd already rejected it. And they didn't even bother to ask what it meant. But those who hungered to understand found Jesus very eager to explain every single detail. As one has said so well, the same sun which melts the wax hardens the clay. And the word that opens the hearts of some confirms others in their rejection and unbelief. Jesus then now explains this parable, starting in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground... This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The seed in this parable is a powerful symbol of the word of God springing to life. Within every seed there's a potential for life. But God's word can sprout forth into eternal life. Jesus begins the explanation of this parable by, by he calls the seed here the word of the kingdom, which is the message about his kingdom. This message of God's kingdom begins with an eternal God creating man in his image, perfect and free from sin. But Adam and Eve rebelled against their creator and were cast out of the garden. In all of us, everyone who's ever lived is a descendant of Adam and Eve, which means that we were born into sin. And because of our sin, we are by nature citizens of the kingdom of this world, not the kingdom of heaven. But out of his love and mercy and grace, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, the king of kings to this earth. He lived the sinless life that we could never live, died the death on a cross that we deserve, and was raised from the dead three days later, confirming that his sacrifice for sin was complete and that his payment was satisfying to God. Well, this message of the kingdom calls for a response on our part. To repent and to believe. To turn from your sin and embrace salvation in Jesus through faith. 
So whether for the first time just right now or a thousand times in the past, you have heard the message of the kingdom. God's seed has landed on your heart. But have you really heard it? Have you responded with repentance of your sin and trust in Christ's death in your place? Well, if not, I I urge you to do so today. And if you have any questions about this message or want to talk about it further, we would love to do that. Please let somebody know before you leave, and we'd be delighted to talk more about this message of God's kingdom. Well, as Jesus explains this parable of the ears, we see that the main point is how the message of the kingdom is received. There's four different ways that the news, there's four different ways the word is heard. Which one describes you? The first is unresponsive hearing. Unresponsive hearing we see in verse 19. Hears the word of the kingdom, does not understand it. Some hear the message about the kingdom, but like hardened paths, they do not let the truth penetrate. And before they really understand it, the devil snatches it away. Not understanding here brings in all the imagery from Jesus' quotation from Isaiah. So this is not inadvertent ignorance, but it's studied rejection that must be punished. This person is unresponsive, unconcerned, inattentive, indifferent, negligent, and possibly even hostile. In the words of Alexander McLaren, the word never gets deeper than their ears. Habitual indifference to the gospel, marked by an utterly unmeaning and unreal acceptance of it, is the condition of a dreadfully large proportion of churchgoers. As soon as the preacher's voice is silent or the book closed, the words are forgotten. Jesus states here that these people have not only rejected the message of Christ, but they've also opened themselves up to Satan's control. In Luke's account of this parable, chapter 18, verse 12, is even more explicit. He says, The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. To these people, Jesus' parables confirm their rejection and serve to confuse and darken their already hardened hearts. So how does your heart respond to God's word when you read it, when you hear it taught, when you hear it preached week in and week out? How does God's word affect you? Does hearing God's word cause you to see your sin and need to grow in holiness? Now, it is certainly true that some passages of Scripture 
Some Bible classes, some sermons will be of greater interest to us than others. And some will have greater impact on us than others. And there are certainly days, I know there are for me, when we come to the Word and we're particularly sluggish, either in body or in mind. But if your life is marked by a lack of desire to read, study, meditate on, memorize, and talk about God's Word with others, if you regularly either endure or sleep through sermons, and seldom get excited about God's eternal truth that you've just heard and how it should change your life, then it's very likely that you have a gospel deafness and are an unresponsive hearer. Jesus is saying that those who hear the truth of God's word and act upon it will receive more. But those who reject it will ultimately lose it. We must use it or lose it, or perhaps more precisely, we must do it or lose it. And that ought to strike fear into every unresponsive heart, because what Jesus is saying here is that if you persist in your rejection of God's truth, the day is coming when Satan will remove it from the soil of your heart, and your opportunity will be gone. We all ought to see this as a very serious warning. Beware of the danger of hearing God's word and not responding to it. The second type of hearing is superficial hearing. Verses 20 and 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground... This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This person may show immediate signs of life and promise to be the best crop because they received the word with joy. Oh, they come up so fast, but they don't last. Quickly green and quickly gone. Though the word was received with joy, over time the external pressures, trouble and persecution, like the sun beating down on a rootless plant, soon reveal that the soil is shallow and there's no root. When suffering comes, particularly the type of opposition Jesus faced on behalf of the kingdom message, they will stop following him. Interest and excitement are not enough. Until one is rooted in Christ, it is impossible to endure the difficult times of life. One commentator describes those with superficial hearing as those brushed by Christianity, people who've been sown with a thousand seeds but in whose lives there's no depth and no rootage. Therefore, they fall when the first whirlwind comes along. 
It is the half-Christians who always flop in the face of the first catastrophe that happens because their dry intellectuality and their superficial emotionalism do not stand the test. Is your hearing superficial? This one's kind of tough to know, I think, because in our country, at least right now, we, we don't face a lot of persecution. And we don't face a lot of suffering. But if we did, I think our churches would shrink. And it would become a lot more clear pretty quickly who the real Christians really are. I hope that we never have to experience the type of spiritual persecution that our brothers and sisters in North Korea, Afghanistan, Libya, Somalia, Pakistan, China, and so many other parts of the world have to endure. But it certainly is likely that you'll face some sort of opposition, perhaps from a boss, a family member, or friend. Opposition you experience from others because of your faith. You may lose a spouse or a child or endure some horrible accident that will leave you permanently handicapped. Suffering of really any sort either drives you closer to Christ and strengthens your faith or it eventually reveals that what you profess is superficial. And there's really no root. As 1 Peter 1.7 makes clear, suffering tests the genuineness of our faith. The third type of hearing is distracted hearing. Verse 22, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. This person never permits the message about the kingdom to fully control him. Life has too many other commitments that slowly choke out the struggling plant, which never matures and never bears genuine fruit. They are distracted by the cares of this kingdom and the deceitfulness of riches or delight in riches. As Jesus said in Matthew 6:24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Without a deep-seated trust in God, the worries and pleasures of everyday life stifle what little spiritual interest exists in those with a divided heart. Their true priority is a career, a house, a hobby, a wardrobe, a bank account, their family, a relationship, or something else. Since things hold the true allegiance of their infested hearts, the pleasures of this life will ultimately seduce them away from God because they're more concerned about this life 
than the life to come. These are people who show up at church and are even involved as long as it doesn't conflict with the things that matter most to them. Because of all their distractions and worship of the things of this world, Jesus only gets qualified obedience. There's obedience in some areas, but not all. And and most significant, there's an unwillingness to obey when confronted with their need to do so. I think that this type of hearing is probably more common in the church than we would like to believe. And I think it's probably the most dangerous because it can be so subtle. It can be so deceptive. And we're all distracted by the cares of this life and the things of the world at this time. Who doesn't struggle with spiritual idolatry as our hearts so naturally value and prioritize things and people more than God? But does distraction characterize your religious life? Are you always finding excuses for your lack of faithfulness to God, both in your private and public worship? Are you seeking more after money than God in His kingdom? And as you get money, do you spend more time and energy on the various things you spend it on than the things of God? Do you have more interest in your stuff than your personal investments in what God is doing to build His kingdom through your church? Are you a distracted hearer? Before considering the final type of hearing, it's worth reflecting, I think, on the fact that both the superficial and distracted hearer responded positively to the word. Both of them appeared to be genuine, but they weren't because they didn't last. Perhaps in recent months you have heard of high-profile Christians coming out and saying they no longer believe. And we all probably know people who at one point in the past professed faith in Christ and even looked like a Christian but now they do not. According to this parable, Jesus is not intending us to understand that as good soil turning bad. He is specifically saying here that there was always something different. People may appear to be his followers, but never truly take root because they fail to persevere in the faith. In John 8, 31, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, remember there's the crowds, there's all these people claiming to follow him. They would have called themselves disciples. Jesus turns to those people and says, If you abide in my word, You're truly my disciples. You're truly my disciples if you abide, if you continue, if you persevere in my word. 
in the words of the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. We believe that such only are real believers as endure to the end. That their persevering attachment to Christ is the grand mark which distinguishes them from superficial professors. That a special providence watches over their welfare and they are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. The final hearing we see in this parable is receptive hearing. Verse 23, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. See that word understand again? Here again we're connecting back to the words of Isaiah. The one difference with this soil is that it bears fruit. That's the difference. And the verb here for bearing fruit occurs in the present tense, indicating that fruitfulness is an ongoing characteristic of the true disciple. This is hearing and persevering. This is heart hearing. It's hearing that leads to obedience. This is why the Hebrew word for hearing is often translated in the English as obey. In thinking about agriculture, the image that Jesus is using here, fruit bearing is the whole point of agriculture. It's also the ultimate test of salvation. As Wearsby says well, the proof of salvation is not listening to the word or having a quick emotional response to the word, or even cultivating the word so that it grows in a life. The proof of salvation is fruit. For as Christ said, you shall know them by their fruits. This true hearing is not a passive experience. If it's passive. If, if hearing is passive, the word spoken, no response, there's reason to question whether or not there's spiritual life. When the word comes to us, describing what the Christian life looks like, and, and yet those evidences, are, those, those descriptions are not seen in our life, they're not evident, you can't say that person is truly hearing. When we're told to repent and be baptized, but we don't, and we won't. When we're told to love others, but we refuse because of what they did to us, or because they're not really worthy of my love. When God commands us to pray for one another, and to use our Christ-given gifts for the building up of His body, the church, yet all we do is fill a seat on Sunday morning, whenever it's convenient. When we're told to share the gospel and we don't even think about evangelism, then we have to question if we have a spiritual pulse. Because these and so many others fail, other failures to obey are evidences of deadness. They're not evidences of life. Where there's life, there will be obedience. And obedience is the fruit of receptive hearing.
Now it's really important to note here that not all the good soil is equally productive. Some bears 30, some bears 60, some 100-fold. And so not all receptive hearing looks exactly the same. No Christian will always bear as much fruit as he or she ought to or could. But each one is fruitful to some degree. Some are more fruitful than others, but all are fruitful. Also, the presence, the presence of qualities that match the unresponsive, superficial, or distracted hearing does not necessarily mean that someone's not a receptive hearer. The very same enemies that keep people from truly hearing are still very real and active in the life of a Christian. Even good soil isn't totally free of all rocks and thorns. And the birds still fly over. So out of the fear of man, we may deny Christ like Peter. We are distracted at times by the cares of this world. And the pleasures of this world and the devil still actively seek to keep God's word from growing deeper into our hearts. But there's a difference. The difference is that the true Christian fights these things. When he sees a rock, he goes to work to dig it out. When a thorn bush is pointed out to him, she desires to do whatever is necessary to get rid of it. When the bird hovers to take the seed, he resists him with the seed until he flees. And all of this fighting is done not in her own strength, but in dependence on God as her only hope for victory. So be encouraged, dear Christian. This battle itself is fruit. This battle is fruit. And we should find encouragement in that. So in this parable, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that anyone can hear but not all truly here. And so, really for us this morning, this parable is a call to get our ears checked. We must carefully consider how we hear the message of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you an unresponsive hearer? A superficial hearer? A distracted hearer? or a receptive hearer. And in our consideration of these four types of hearing, I hope you've caught the fact that really there's only two. There's unfruitful hearing, and there's fruitful hearing. Everyone hears either fruitlessly, or fruitfully. So how are you responding to God's Word? Do you have receptive ears? Do you want to put into practice what you hear? Does your hearing lead to obedience?
Is there fruit in your life? There is nothing more important in your life than how you hear. And there is nothing more important than how you respond to the message of the kingdom. All of us as Christians are stewards of the gospel. All of us as Christians are sowers. We've been given the message of the kingdom to spread, and doing so is one of the fruits, indicating that we are indeed receptive hearers. So as we close, I want to just suggest three points of application from this parable for our evangelism. First, we must share the right message. It's possible for the superficial here to think they're a Christian because the message they were presented described how the king would make their life better. It said nothing about the fact that since the king suffered and was persecuted, you will be too. They never heard that to follow Christ is a call to die. It's possible for the distracted hearer to think that they're a Christian because the message they heard encouraged them to just add Jesus to all the things of this world they valued and said nothing about the need to hate your family or sell everything that you have, as Jesus said. They never heard the necessity of seeing Jesus as more valuable and more precious than everything else. So we must work to share the true and full message of the kingdom. Second, we must share the right message with everyone. So it'd be really helpful, I think, if people had a sticker on their forehead that said, receptive hearer, right? But they don't. And so we must spread the seed indiscriminately. We must share the gospel with everyone. We must resist the temptation to somehow try to identify the type of soil in order to decide whether or not it would be worth casting the seed. We cannot know for sure what type of hearer they are. And we must use wisdom and share the gospel in a thoughtful and appropriate way based on what we're discerning in the way that they're hearing. And of course, we should never keep shoving seed down someone's throats if they don't want to hear it. But regardless of how one seems to be hearing, we should be thinking carefully about the best way to share the message of the kingdom with everyone. And on this point, we can gain a lot of help from other people. So, so we want to talk to each other about our efforts in evangelism, which is what we seek to do each month in our home groups. And then third, trust God to cause receptive hearing. As we spread the seed of the gospel, we must remember that we can't make people truly hear. Only God can. God makes the seed bear fruit. Jesus states in verse 11 of the passage we've considered that the ability to know the secrets of the kingdom, the ability to really hear, it's something that's given. 
not by us, but by God. He is absolutely sovereign over who truly hears and who doesn't. We can certainly, I think it's easy for us, to become discouraged or frustrated with the hardness of the road, the shallowness of the soil, and the aggressiveness of the thorns. But God's the Lord of the harvest, and He can break up even the hardest ground, and He can rid it of even the most stubborn weeds. Hard soil, shallow soil, or thorny soil may not always stay that way. God can completely transform the soil of the stubborn heart. And if he's sovereignly chosen to do so, it'll be in his time, according to his perfect will. So let's faithfully share the message of the kingdom and trust God to awaken the deaf ear. Father, we're thankful for this story of Jesus, the story Jesus told. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for the seed. Thank you, Father, that you have caused us to hear it. Father, I pray for those in our presence, those here, those in our lives we know, whether they be friends or relatives, who are unreceptive in their hearing. Father, if they know that, may you break their will and give them ears to hear. Father, if they're unaware that they're unreceptive in their hearing, help them to see that. And may you give them the desire to know and understand your truth. Father, for those who are superficial in their hearing, Lord, may they come to realize the need to believe in the full and true gospel, not just when life's easy and convenient. And Father, may our trials and suffering reveal the genuineness of our faith as we trust in you no matter how hard things may be. Father, for the distracted hearer who would call themselves a Christian, yet they're valuing in the things of this world, the cares of this world are keeping them from truly following you. Father, there's so much deception here, and we ask for your Spirit to help us to see. Show us our idols. Help us to identify places at which we're worshiping our stuff more than you. And Father, may you awaken the ears and eyes of those who are distracted and who are not truly following you. Father, may we be people with receptive ears. May we continue to bear fruit. Father, give us hearts to do your word and to obey. And Father, we pray you continue to grow us into fruit that abounds. And Lord, as we strive to sow seed, as we share the gospel with others, grant us wisdom. May we be faithful. And may you bless your word as it goes out from our lips. Do this work for your glory, we pray. 
It's in Christ's name we ask. Amen.